0: That's fantastic. Now, a writer, um, are you working on another piece now, or are you uh, focusing more of your energies on acting?
1: Um, well, yes, right now I am uh, cast in a show. Are we allowed to talk about that?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're finalizing getting the rights, so it's we're, we're still waiting for a final word from Great Britain. Okay. But the play is called The Rubenstein Kiss, and it's by James Phillips. It's a fairly new play, I believe. It was written in two thousand
0: four, two thousand five. Okay, great. And
2: it's a wonderful play that is essentially a fictionalized account of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg and oh. their children. Um, it's the first really heavy, serious drama I've done with my students at the school. I've done I've done other plays that had dramatic monologues in them but were balanced with some humor and um, we started our, our first the first read-through on Thursday and they blew me out of my socks. Ah. <laughs> I was very impressed.
0: So it sounds like the future is pretty bright. I think so. Okay. Now Ruben, I would ask you, uh, representing another generation and hopefully uh, some fresh eyes on, on the future of performing and theater making, what uh, what do you think um will artists will theater makers have to do differently than perhaps we're doing now in order to reach audiences down the road or is there a difference
1: um i really can't say um sorry but um i'll, I'll try um i don't know i don't know it's a, it's a tough question it's um ponderous and deep i guess I don't know if it really has to change. I think, well, theater's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Back to the original campfires. Yeah, the ancient Greeks and uh, tragedy and comedy. And um, if it worked back then and it still works now, then I suppose it'll just keep on working.
0: See, this makes me happy because we keep uh, coming back to this question, and and the thing that keeps emerging, which I guess is at the heart of, you know, human beings, being the pack animals that we are, is that that uh, storytelling, that human story being translated from one individual to another is never going to go out of style. We're never going to tire of of watching people live in front of us, and there was a philosopher um, that... uh, at Stanford, Richard Rorty. And uh, he was a bit of a renegade philosopher, but he said he felt that people could learn. And I'm going to horribly paraphrase you, Mr. Rorty, but people could learn a lot from uh, literature and just reading about and seeing how people fare in different places and different experiences. And they could throw out philosophy and just focus on literature, and people might gain more philosophical insights. So while I'm not going to take on the entire uh, schools of philosophy and thought. I do think there's really something about that, just being able to walk in another man's shoes, as it were. Dan, you're a writer, so let's, uh, you know, I don't uh, call on you to weigh in on this question so much, but are you writing? Has your writing changed since you began? Are you writing differently for future audiences?
1: Oh gosh, I'm not so much writing differently. Um, Each of my plays is very different in style and content, but it's still pretty much whatever idea has grabbed me by the throat and said, (laughs) you must now focus on me for the next few months
0: grab you by the throat so you your characters take a hold of you and you have to get them out and on paper
1: i've definitely got stories that even the ones that have been sitting fallow for like a year and a half are still in the back of my brain saying you better finish us um and i actually worry a lot about stories i have not yet finished because they're getting pissed
0: (laughs) i have this wonderful image of like file cabinets and and closets full of these characters pounding to get out
1: (laughs) that's why i don't sleep (laughs)
0: New works are coming. And speaking of new works, Dylan, you have, in your career that that we can see, you've done a lot of new works. You tend to gravitate toward the newer. You're not so much a backward-looking girl in picking your play selection. Um, One of the things that I, I noticed from your bio and loved was that you directed the world premiere of Roald Dahls. Am I saying his name properly? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite writers, of course, Charlie and uh, the Chocolate Factory and uh, James and the Giant Peach. But you directed the world premiere of Matilda.
2: Well, actually, North American premiere. North American premiere. There was... Uh, we just think we're the there's world. A wor- yeah, there's a world beyond there's, North America. Was, <laughs> it was really interesting because when we... Um, I was working at New Conservatory at the time, and teaching there. And I went to Ed Decker, the artistic director, and I said, hey, I've read this great book. Is there a play version of this? This would be great. And he's, you know, we did the research. We couldn't find any known play version. And I said, well, can we get the rights to it? He goes, I don't know. That's going to be really hard. <laughs> well, can we try? <laughs> and I just kept at him like a, like a dog with a bone. <laughs> and, <laughs> He was really funny. He, he he totally did not think we'd get him. And now knowing what I know about producing, I would have been the same way had Sometimes I. Sometimes it's best not I, to know. Had I had any real great <laughs> knowledge. I mean, I was just out of, I was essentially like two or three years out of college um, when I was That's working That's moxie. And, well, I just said, well, let's just ask the question. They can always say no, but, you know, if you don't ask, you don't. Yeah. That's right. So, he came he comes up to me one day and he's like, "I would have never believed it, but they've given us limited rights. There is a script that was done in Great Britain, but they won't let us see it because they hated it so much." Yeah. <laughs> and I went, "Oh, okay." So now I You he got goes, two strikes against. So, you. so he's well, yeah, so I'm like, "Well, I'd like to They're look at it and see why they didn't like it, but they wouldn't they wouldn't even let us do that. But they what they did, um and his estate was was really generous, is they gave us a limited license okay, um, for a limited period of time. They didn't give us, you know, I didn't get the rights to publish my adaptation or anything. Okay. Um, but they gave us the, the rights for a limited amount of time, and then they let us do a reprise about six or eight months later, again, for, for a three-week run. And it was very, very generous of them to allow us to do do it at all. And it was before the movie came out, it was when the book was fairly new. I think it was only a couple of years old and I'd been introduced to it by students at a public uh, middle school that I was working with at the time that I was teaching at and they were all reading this book and thought it was really great and so I said well geez if all these kids are reading this and they think it's really great I I should check it out. It's obviously relevant. (laughs) Yeah (laughs) um and I was really really lucky. I had um a wonderful student at the time, Noe Venable, who has gone on to do a, a good deal of work in the music world. Mm-hmm. And she played Matilda. And she was just absolutely beautiful and mercurial and delightful. And it was, it was a wonderful experience. I had, I had the parents have huge puppet style heads so they were they were played by children but they had these costumes with these huge puppet heads that went up about 3 feet high. Brilliant. So it made them look distorted and abstract and frightening
0: oh that's wonderful now for those who are not familiar with the story briefly share a little bit about the story of Matilda The, the
2: basic story is this this little girl Matilda has remarkable intelligence and and mental powers to the point of being able to like bend things with her mind and her parents are are very um not very indulgent of her intelligence they're they're more interested in achieving you know great quantities of personal wealth and, and eating food and, you know, doing those sorts of things. So they, they sort of poo-poo their daughter's interests. And <laughs> she keeps gaining in strength as she has to overcome obstacles, like her parents or, or the principal at the school.
0: That's a real theme for uh, that particular author, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it's it's really a continual theme in his work, people overcoming obstacles, and, and usually by quite extraordinary means. Indeed. <laughs> I, that's one of the things I love about his work, and the other project that I worked on was I adapted some of his adult short stories. And, and I'm not that familiar with those. Tell us those. Oh my gosh, they are they're wonderful, and they are quite quite adult. Ah, <laughs> um, in in theme both. In, in violence and, and darker some of a bit very very dark um, if, if you imagine like the dark parts of his children's books but now imagine that he writes that for adults but carries that darkness to the same level
0: especially in like james and the giant peach there were some <laughs> really sad and dark moments in that but yeah he's triumphant do you have a, a well there, there was there was one Damn. short
1: story cause i was looking actually working with matt quinn Mm -hmm. to adapt some of the short stories, possibly, for one of our shows. And I couldn't really find ones that would work the way I wanted to on stage. But there was one that was very intriguing about, I think it was a young minister, a young British minister, Mm -hmm. who was being courted by all these socialites at his village. And there was this bizarre link between fertility and sex and rabbits devouring their own young. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was like this nightmarish, graphic, horrible, it was... (laughs) Yeah.
0: <laughs> he is not afraid to go places others have not gone before.
2: <laughs> no, no. And most, and most of his stories are really very frightening and horrific. In, and they have enough realism to that yes. horror that it makes it all the more scarier because it, just, it, it could almost possibly happen as opposed to, you know, a lot of what we see in horror films is just so far to the extreme category.
1: And also just being very grotesque. I mean, yeah, there was what about right. a person who ate so much bee pollen or like mm-hmm. bee jelly? They began turning into a giant pupa.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, or you know what happens to Augustus Gloop or in the back mm-hmm. to the chocolate factory? Well, amazing! And tell us, was that well received? That the audiences were great for that.
2: It was. It was a. It was Dr. really. Back to Matilda. Um, it was a fabulous project wildly popular because most kids who were between second and fourth grade knew the book. um, Sold out. We brought it back for a second run and wasn't completely sold out for the second run, but was very close. Wonderful.
0: Well, I have to say, Dylan, not having a script is not stopped you from (laughs) putting plays on as well. (laughs) And I am, of course, uh, referring to your work with Tilted Frame. And we mentioned Matt Quinn earlier. Matt Quinn was the executive producer, well, is the executive producer of Tilted Frame. I know he looks to seeing that come back and is working with Jonathan Kaplan on uh, mounting a Los Angeles troupe. But you worked with Tilted Frame, which I had the pleasure of being part of that experience, on two shows, I Want, I Need, I Tilt and Framework. And again, back to your collaborative nature, you co-directed with another friend of Radio Star Network, Jonathan Luskin. So working without a script to create a two-act play. (laughs) Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Every night.
2: Yes,
0: it was a new play every night.
2: Well... You know, the funny thing was is when Matt came and talked to me and, and they were looking for directors. Again, it was this thing where, well, we're looking at a bunch of directors and you <laughs> might be one of them. I'm like, huh? You're always on
0: the short list, Ms. Okay. Russell. <laughs>
2: Um, so he brought us in, and then when he finally said, he goes, yeah, so you and Jonathan, he he brought Jonathan and I in, and I don't think he told either one of us that we were going to be co-directing, so we both got there the first day, and he goes, okay, so this is Jonathan, and Jonathan, this is Dylan, and you're going to be co-directing the show, and (laughs) and my recollection is we kind of looked at each other, we, we'd met each other, but we didn't know each other, (laughs) and I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Huh. Wow. <laughs> All right. And the improv yes and began. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the thing that, I mean, it was, um, I have a great deal of gratitude to offer Mr. Quinn because Jonathan Luskin is one of my favorite people and one of my close personal friends and colleagues and someone with whom I, you know, I always ask him to come in and see one of the final run-throughs of you know, or a run-through of any show I'm working on because his ability to ferret out very specific issues textually and structurally with a play is beyond that of anybody else that I know. Um, he's he's re- absolutely remarkable in that regard. and that was the thing that was so great about I think his and my being co-directors on the play is that, You guys were working towards this new form, which was a two-act play structure, completely improvised, and Jonathan knows uh, more about structure than anybody that I know. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And then the thing that I think was really exciting for that he and I have talked about that was really exciting for him to watch me work with you guys is a lot of the work that I do with actors is very movement-based and movement-inspired. And we did a whole series of exercises um, that were movement-based in nature to give you guys greater range and authenticity in playing different characters. Because when you're in improv, you're gonna gravitate towards your own natural tendencies Because because those are most secure and you're trying to make everything else up on the spot. Yes. And the thing that was really remarkable to watch you guys in rehearsal take this movement work and then take the structural work that we were doing with Jonathan and put those two together was to see you go so far beyond your normal, you know, inclination of character types and styles to work in as far as, as the physicality and it was of amazing,
0: not only doing it myself, but watching yeah. other people uh, transform right in front of me. And mm-hmm. you gave us this amazing, almost shorthand to... Uh, and please share with us that technique and the, the name of that.
2: Um, it's, it's largely... Um well, it's a combination of a bunch of different things. One is Laban Movement Analysis. Laban is the one I'm thinking of Yeah, initially. that's the one you're thinking of. And then there's other, you know, there are other exercises and things that I've taken from instructors and, and different companies that I've worked with that I worked in with you guys in terms of letting, you know, working with music, working with m- with movement range, working with movement type and quality.
0: It was remarkable. And yeah, the, this, the concept of... Uh, physical placement in words like slash or flick or glide, and then a sense of that vocal placement and that tonality and what that meant to the character. And then again, Leskin mm-hmm. bringing in, basically teaching us to write on our feet. And, and yeah. really, I thank him, will always thank him for teaching me less is more, mm-hmm. um, uh, less embroidery. Thank you, Professor Leskin. Yeah. although you were still Dean Russell. <laughs> but that's inside <laughs> baseball, and we won't stay there too long. Um, that experience, working with you on, on two shows, and uh, the other one, of course, being framework. Funny, again, because we didn't uh, improv, it didn't have a framework to begin yeah. with, and we created a form yeah. and went in with that. Now, you did come out of this uh, collaborating with Professor Luskin, as we mm-hmm. like to call him, mm-hmm. Jonathan <laughs> Luskin, an incredibly talented writer and, and theater maker and
2: uh, who, who has. Can I put in a pitch? Please. He has a play reading of his new play and of one at the... 142 Throckmorton on December 5th, 6th, whatever next Thursday is. Yes, Um, I wish I could be
0: there. I'll be doing a show. The Throckmorton, what a perfect place for his work. And you can also uh, listen to some of his other work again uh here at the radio star network radio star off the page
1: this is the self pimping show
0: <laughs> it really is i don't think i've said our url so many times in conversation let alone on the show itself but have you uh, are, are you and he planning to collaborate in future
2: he and I have been trying for for the past two years to work our schedules in such a way that we can collaborate because there's there are two projects that he and I have talked about loosely that we would really really love to work on together and between his work schedule and my work schedule it's it it has been a challenge. So you're
0: you're loaning him the cloning machine as well because he is soon <laughs> equally yes, busy.
2: Soon. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, obviously. Um, 2008. It's right around the corner. We're winding the year down here. And uh, I know you have some new projects coming up. Uh, I don't know if you can talk about them. Do you want to share
2: on that or can you? Um, I can't as yet. Ooh, a super (laughs) secret project. (laughs) I I hope to be able to in the next, next month or so.
0: Well, there it is. I know Dan was about to ask you uh, when, but so look for some. We're going to have to check back in with you around the end of January. To, uh, or I guess, it'll be close to the beginning of January to see what this will be. Dylan, thank you for being here, and Reuben, thanks so much for inviting me. You're up, you're going to be spending the next few months applying to colleges. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yes, that is correct.
0: So, if anyone out there on a selection committee is listening, put in a good word for this very talented young man.
1: Thank you.
2: <laughs> Now, do you have a wish list of colleges. Take this young man into your college before he becomes famous and untouchable.
1: Yeah. What
2: <laughs> she said. <laughs> it's been a complete
0: delight having you here. If uh, you've forgotten, we are, of course, <laughs> the studio interviews. I'm your host, Diana Brown, with us always, Dan Wilson and our guest today and a delight you've both been. Dylan Russell and Ruben Raskin, thanks a lot.